You can go ahead and start turning back toward James chapter 2 and start heading toward verse 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, this is going to, this to me, the prep this week even felt a little bit like a part two to a sermon that I preached a few weeks ago where we were talking about being uh, doers of the word and not hearers only. This kind of feels like it's coming from the same the same vein, the same thought, which, which makes sense because it's the same letter that James is continuing to write. And as he's continuing to kind of build this, build this case that he's trying to make for what it should look like as we live out the gospel as the church, it would make sense that he kind of continues to build on themes. Uh, but this week, it's more, than, it's more than just he's taking this, if you say you're going, if you hear that you should do something and you say, I hope that happens, that's not good enough. You actually have to do the thing, right? That was kind of where we left off a couple of weeks ago. It's not, it's not just one thing to say to somebody who's hungry, go, be well fed, God bless you, if you have the opportunity to give them something to eat to kind of take care of that hunger that they're feeling, right? It shouldn't just stop at, at hearing that these good things that we're called to should happen, but rather it should instead be that we that we do the things that we know we're supposed to do. These things that, that the Word of God has called us to do. These things that we know are good, that we, should, that we should take care of orphans and widows. Those are some of the examples that he gave us. It's not just that we should hear the truth, these things should happen, but we should also follow through. This morning, he's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be kind of a similar idea, hearers and doers, but, and he's going to change the, the words to be, faith and works, but the idea is the same. If you, if you know something to be true and you know that you should be doing something, you should do it. Well, well, this is going to talk a little bit more about not just hearing something that you should do, being told and then accomplishing that thing, setting out to, to finish, but instead what, what, what true faith looks like and how true faith motivates our actions. Um, and, and, I was, and as I was thinking about this, you, you know me. Everything comes back to a movie quote, right? So, so does everybody remember Batman Begins? Christopher Nolan's like first, first Batman movie, right? The, the main theme that keeps kind of weaving its way throughout that whole movie. And, and then uh, I, I, should do, I could do my Christian Bell Batman impression. While, no, I'm, I'm being told no. I'm being told no. So don't do that. So, so but, but I mean, what is it that he says? What is it that he says in that movie? It's not who you are underneath, but what you do that defines you. Now, we're going we're gonna to break down that idea throughout the sermon because, because so much of what's happening in James chapter 2, especially in these verses that we're going to read, we have to make sure we understand what these words that we're reading are implying because I don't want you to come away, and I'm just going to preface it from the very beginning, I don't want you coming away hearing, I have to do these things to be saved. I have to, I have to, I have, to have these works or Jesus won't save me. And, and it's very easy to hear things like that quote. It's not who you are underneath, but what you do that defines you. And I just want to get this out of the way from the very beginning. You are who you are in Christ. Your identity is wrapped up in Christ because Christ has saved you, because Christ has made you alive, a place that we're going to come back to by the end of this. You aren't, you aren't being saved because of some works that you are 
acting out, some things that you are doing. And I don't want anyone to come away with this. So this is your, this is your, this is not a works-based salvation sermon. This is your disclaimer against that. But we are going to break down that concept that, that, that the works that we do are important not for saving, but for demonstrating that salvation has taken place within us. So go ahead. If you're in James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14 and we're going to go through the end of the chapter. And so James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you, not, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay, so like I said, this passage is really an exercise in understanding what James means by the certain words that he chooses to use along the way. Because you hear lots of you hear lots of phrases in here talking about justified by works and not by faith and, and, and all of these different things in here are like, well, what do all these words mean? What are all these words trying to say? Because because if you aren't if you are careless with the way that we take this passage and break it down, you could confuse yourself very easily and even begin to convince yourself that you're finding contradictions between this and Paul's writings in other parts of the New Testament. And you could say, wait a second, didn't Paul say that we're justified by our faith? Isn't it faith alone that saves us? Isn't it that our works, are, are, are all of our deeds are as filthy rags and those aren't necessary and it's all the faith that we have? Yes. And it's also true that what James is saying, that we're justified by our works. But we have to do a little bit of, of study into what it is that James is trying to say. Because the big point, the overarching theme of what, of what James is trying to say is you can't just say something. It means nothing if it leads to nothing. It means nothing if it leads to nothing. So if you're saying, go, be well, be fed but somebody stays hungry, did you really care that they go, be well, and be fed? That's the point that James is trying to make, right? Can, can it really be that, that if you say you have good intention for somebody, but your good intention isn't followed up by the action that would be necessary to follow up as a means of demonstrating your desire for that, did you ever really want that 
for them? That's a question we can often ask ourselves. How many times have we said we want something for someone and have the means to make that happen in their lives but don't follow through? If that doesn't lead to action, if that statement, if that, if that statement of, I believe that I want this to happen for you and I have the means, but I'm not going to do it, did we actually mean that we wanted that for someone else? That's the question that James is asking us. He's saying, if it's in your heart that you believe in God, that will lead naturally to follow up where your life begins to look like someone who has faith and believes in God and the things that God has called us true, called us to. Faith alone. Here's the point that, and, and, and he asks this question right from the very beginning, because he kind of asks this rhetorical question, right? He says, "What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him?" And the way he's asking that question, he is giving you the answer with the way that he sets that up. Because what is, what is the answer to the question that James is asking? No. No. He's saying, if, if, right, what good is it if someone doesn't have works that, that accompany their faith? Can that save them? No. Why? Because what he's saying is that faith is merely an intellectual understanding of what the Bible says about Jesus. Right? Because what does he follow it up with? What does he follow it up with? He says, you believe that God is one. Good job. You believe the right things. You're saying you have faith in the right things. But if that faith isn't translating to some sort of new heart action, something that you're, you're being motivated to do, something that's coming out of you, if there's no works follow-up connected to that, you understand it in your head. So do the demons. Good job. You're on the same team at least as they are. Right? He's saying just that faith, just that understanding in your head isn't saving anybody. Which is why I said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about faith and works and all of this, or uh, hearing and doing, like, like we can't argue someone into, we can't anger somebody into salvation. We can't just say, yell at them and say, you need to believe this. I could give you the most elaborate, apologetic this, this most beautifully structured argument as to why you intellectually should understand and believe that the Christian worldview is far greater and far superior to any other worldview and that you should understand and believe it. And you could say, that's a swell argument. I believe your argument. That's great. But if there's no heart change, if there's nothing that comes out of that, if it's just that you say, intellectually, I'm going to dance with the idea that the Christian worldview is good. Does that mean salvation? No. And that's the point that James is trying to make. So if somebody's saying, you can do the stuff, I'm just going to sit here and think about it a lot and enjoy the thinking about it. He's saying, you're on the same team as the demons. Because they believe that God exists. They believe that God is real. They believe in all of these things. But yet, all of their actions are motivated against the will of God. They're motivated, they're, they're motivated to, to fight against others finding the joy of knowing Christ. 
Their actions reflect a, a, a disdain, a, a dislike for what it is that they know to be true, that God is sovereign, that God is in control of all of his creation. They, they're, they're good understanding all that, but they don't want it, and they don't want their actions to, to fight for it. And so if our faith is just merely an intellectual game where we're just kind of thinking about and understanding it in our minds, but it's not translating into something else, what James is saying is that's not salvation. Our faith must lead to action. And, and this, this idea that, that there should be a natural action that, motiv- that, comes, that becomes, we become motivated for out of our belief, out of our faith, out of our hearts being changed by God as we are being saved is a, is a hindrance to some. We're not going to break down all of Reformed theology this morning. I don't have time. It wouldn't be. It's not going to be helpful, but, but suffice it to say, if you, want, if you want to ask me questions about this later, you can. I come from a more Reformed theology tradition. Some people would call it Calvinism. I'd say, I don't worship Calvin, I worship Jesus, and Calvin just studied Jesus. But we can talk about all this some other time. But here's the thing. Within Reformed theology, kind of, kind of the chief motivating understanding of who God is within the Reformed tradition is that God is sovereign over all of his creation. That God is in control, God is bigger than us in every way, and that in every way, God is working out his plan throughout his creation. In every way. God is sovereign over all of this. That includes over over our salvation. For some, in coming from the tradition that I hold on to, Sovereignty can sometimes become a crutch for us. So if this is you, I want you to hear this. Because, because what James is talking about is faith should lead to action, where sometimes we can say, oh, I believe God is in control. He's got it. He doesn't need me to do anything else. I'm going to sit at the house, and I'm going to read books about dead guys. He doesn't need me to do anything else. I'm just going to entertain uh, myself intellectually and continue to study not saying study's bad, not saying reading books are bad, I'm not, that, I'm not going that way. But at the same time, it's easy to, to lean on the idea that God is in control and he doesn't need us to do anything, which at a big level is true, but yet God calls us to take the gospel and share the gospel. Yet God calls us to go and love orphans and widows. Yet God calls us to go and do all of these things. And so we, our motivation if we, if we truly have faith that he has placed within us and our heart has been changed, we'll still be motivated to action. And so I, I say all this because, because I don't want our theology, the place that we come from in, our, in kind of our background of understanding of how God works throughout his creation, I don't want that to become a hindrance to our ability to be obedient to what James is talking about. I don't want us to become so reliant on what we understand to be true about theology that it prevents us, it becomes a hindrance to us actually following through with what God has called us to. Because the whole thing is we can't just say we believe in something, we have to actually follow through. We're actually called to do the thing. If it doesn't 
if our faith does not lead to some sort of action, and this is the big point that, that James is making, if our faith is not leading us to take some sort of real action, if there's not some works that are coming out of it, then it's not really salvation. So introspective question number one. Are you motivated toward action? Is your faith motivating you toward some form of works? Because if you're not, you need to step back and examine what your faith is based on, what your faith is rooted in. Because belief only puts us on the same level as the demons. We can't rest only on our ability to believe something, to think that something is true. And so what James does at this point is he begins to give us some examples of a few past uh, people from the Old Testament. And he says, look at Abraham, look at Rahab. And, 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 and here's the phrase that I want us to hold on to that he uses here. Okay? Let me just find the right verse so I give you the right place. So in verse 23, and scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was counted him as righteous, he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. Now, again, to those of us who are in the Reformed faith would say, we've been using fancy Latin words printed on, in scripty fonts on black t-shirts while we sip our coffee for years, saying, sola fide, by faith alone, Right? or sola gracia, by grace alone, or sola scriptura. Uh, sorry, nerds. He's not here, and I'm going to talk about him. I, guarantee, I think Nick Souders has a black t-shirt with a scripty sola fide shirt. Yeah. So Nick, when you listen to this, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying. Those of us who hear a phrase that says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You go, whoa, hold on, hold on. What is James saying here? Because Paul very specifically says, we're saved by faith and not by works. And here James is saying the exact opposite. Well, what we have to do is we have to understand that when we talk about the word justify, there are two different things that we can be talking about here. Okay? One is talking about a faith that is leading to salvation. We are justified. We are made right. That is one possible definition of the word justify, to be, to be made right before God, to have our guilt taken away, to, to have God look at us and only see the perfection of Christ, to have him justify us by what it is that he did, by the works that he committed. And that, that justification is talking about being made clean. Now, there's another way to define the word justify. And that, that definition of justify is more implying to, I guess, give evidence of. Right? Like, like I can say, I love Star Wars movies. That's great. How many have you seen? None. But I love them. You're like... I don't think you've actually, I don't think you actually love them. But if I can say, but if I say, I've gone to see everyone that was in the theater since I've been alive, at least once, probably twice, I've watched every episode of every TV show they've ever put out, and I can tell you all the droid names from the lineup in front of the Jawa 
Sandcrawler in episode four, then you're like, okay, your actions that have led to you knowing and seeing and experiencing all these things justify your claim that you love Star Wars. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference in how we're using justify there? One is saying to, to make clean, to make as if, to, to, to justify, to say this one is innocent. That is a justification that is leading towards salvation. The other justification, what James is talking about, the works that are coming out of us, is basically just giving evidence that that salvation has taken place within us. A faith, an understanding, like we just said, we just said, just a mental understanding of what the gospel says is not enough. If we are actually saved, the things that follow will justify our salvation. They will, give, they will give weight to the claim that we believe who Jesus is and are prepared to continue following him. Do you see the difference here? So, so what James is not saying, like we said at the beginning, I gave the disclaimer, what James is not saying is you have to do things to be saved. He's saying if you're not doing things, that's evidence that you're not saved. If your works are following your faith, because he says, you show me your works apart from faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. He's saying, I'm going to justify my claim that I am pursuing Christ by the way I live my life, by the steps that I take, by the things that come out of me. It's more, it's more like you could replace the word justify with verify. Does that make sense? That's more, what, that's more what James is getting at, is our works verify our salvation. So James, and I'm, and I'm stealing this. If you've got an ESV study Bible, you're going to be like, he's, he's stealing copyright material. No, I just read this, and I loved this quote. He says, James centers on Abraham's act of obedience, while Paul centers on God's declaration of Abraham's righteousness. That's the difference. One is God saying, this one's been made righteous, and one is saying, look at how obedient this one has been because of the righteousness that God has put inside of him. Final movie reference, I promise. I'm going to spoil the end of a movie. This movie has been out long enough. Who hasn't seen Saving Private Ryan? I... <laughs> If you're kids, good. You're not old enough. You shouldn't see Saving Private Ryan yet. At least. I don't even know if... Oh, man, that opening scene. Sorry, that's not what we're talking about. At the end of Saving Private Ryan, one character is talking to Private Ryan. It's not a spoiler that Private Ryan is in this movie. Perhaps Private Ryan, by this point has been saved. I'm trying to be delicate. One character pulls Private Ryan in and whispers in his ear right after all of this has happened at great cost. He leans in, pulls him in, and says in his ear, earn this. Right after that, we kind of flash forward to a much older Private Ryan kind of introspectively looking at himself kind of breaking down what he meant by earn this. Like, because what he was calling him to was, there's been a lot of sacrifice made 
to save you. Someone who throughout, throughout the movie says very specifically, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to be saved. I didn't demand it. I didn't do anything to earn this salvation. And yet he is saved and, and he's told, now earn this. But he's already received salvation. He's already saved. He's already been given life where he should not have had life. But that idea of earnness, this, this, this idea that he should now live his life in such a way that honors what has been made true of him, the identity that he's been given, one who is saved, one who gets to live on beyond the war. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what it is that James is telling us to do. Not saying earn your salvation because we can't earn our salvation. But, but live a life that makes sense given that you have been given life at great cost by someone else. That someone else being Jesus. What is the last thing that James says? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We've talked about this before. Apart from Christ, we are dead. Right? Think through, think through Ephesians 2 again. I know we go back to this all the time, but it's because I think it's like the perfect description of what salvation is. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, did what? Made us alive. made us alive and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He made us alive. And if we are alive, we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like for someone who is alive in Christ to be living? What does living the Christian life actually look like? Does it look like sitting on our hands? Does it look like huddling up inside a bubble and saying, well, now Jesus has saved me. I'm just going to stay safe till he comes back. Does it look like shying away and hiding from the dangers of the sinful world? Does it look like trying not to, to, to see anybody? Does it look like trying to... What, what does it look like? What does the Christian life look like for you? Because, because if, if the Christian life is not one that is pushing you toward loving and serving other people, if it's not pushing you toward going beyond just saying, go, be well, be warm, be fed, and actually mo motivating you to give somebody a coat or give somebody a meal or give somebody your time, If you don't feel that natural inclination, inclination to move beyond where you are sitting right now, hearing the word of God preached, singing songs, eating lunch together, all of these things are good. But if we aren't motivated to go somewhere beyond that, if our faith is, is only an understanding and appreciation of something that we believe to be true, and that's it, that's not salvation. So we have to ask ourselves, what is true of us? Does your life verify 
that salvation, that faith, is, that, that, that genuine change in your heart has taken place. And if it has, and you are fighting against that urge to go and do something, I would, I would heavily encourage you to stop fighting and go, whatever it is. Maybe it's something here, maybe it's something far away. But whatever it is, you're called to do it. You're called to make something happen because that's what the church does. That's the whole point that James is trying to make. What good is it if it doesn't lead to action? It's not. What good is faith if it's not accompanied by works? It's not. Is that, are those works the thing that saved you? Absolutely not. Christ has saved you. He has made you alive even when you were dead. He has given you life, and that life now leads toward living. So let us ask ourselves, what does that look like in our own lives? And what does that look like in our church? And what does that look like in our families? And what does that look like in every aspect, every area of how we exist, where we work, where we go to school, wherever it is? How is our faith being modeled? How is that work that Christ has done? Not being earned, but rather being demonstrated, played out, lived out, verified. Let's pray.